Hey, no experts allowed family. We're on a break for a few weeks to recharge, so we wanted to highlight a few of our favorite episodes from the past year. Audio quality may vary, but the conversation quality is very high. Well, at least we think so. Enjoy, and we'll be back with a new episode on July 17th. I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others, instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story? And what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Jonathan. Seth. How are you doing? Hi. (laughs) How are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. You know, uh, it's always good to be with you. That's what I'll say. You know what? We didn't celebrate it last week or during this actual episode. But we recently crossed 25 episodes of No Experts Allowed. And I think that's a pretty significant milestone. So and congrats. This is our, it's a, it was our silver episode anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're just a couple downloads away from a thousand downloads. Wow. I cannot thank you enough, first off, for being willing to do this, this work during this crazy year. I'm really grateful for our listeners, too. So if you're out there and you've enjoyed our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We know we plug it at the end of the show, but please reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you're learning about in the podcast. I thought you were going to say, if you're out there and you're listening to our podcast, I was like, there's all these people are listening to our podcast, John. If you're listening to our podcast, thank you for listening to our podcast. That's where I thought it was going. <laughs> no, at least I at least I didn't call everyone our viewers. True. Like I we, did on our radio show all the time. We've been doing well with that. I think so. Now that I brought it back to the front of my mind, though, I'm going to do it in this episode. You watch. Before we hear you say viewers, I have a very important question. <laughs> okay. What would you do in this particular situation would you want to be homeless but have access to a complete wardrobe of clothes or have no clothes but a comfortable livable home oh my gosh (laughs) that's that's a really hard question you can wear a if you can wear a mask okay so i could be naked but with a mask is what you're saying (laughs) Perfect. Correct. I think I think for that reason, I would have to go with the first option of not having housing, but having access to a wardrobe. And honestly, the reason that I'm picking that is because I've been so moved by how many people essentially do something like that on a regular basis. Uh, the uh, When we lived in Northern Virginia in Fairfax County, I, I believe the statistic was that Upwards of 70% of 
people experiencing housing insecurity, namely those who uh, who were unhoused, were working uh, at least a, a, like a 20-hour week part-time job, if not a full-time job. Hmm. Uh, and that hmm. had a lot to do with cost of living. But they were they were quite literally doing what we're describing here. Mm-hmm. And it just feels more possible to me than <laughs> being naked and in a house <laughs> and having... <laughs> I mean, I'd be, I think I'd be more, might be more comfortable in that sense, but I don't know how I could have a livelihood in any yeah. <laughs> Okay. I'm, I'm going with the same thing for basically the same reason. Yeah. I, I don't know how you'd have a job. You'd have to get a job where you could work from home and Amazon Prime all of your goods to your house so you didn't have to leave and go to the store. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I would choose to be un unhoused, but having wait. This so this is well, this is kind of related. But when you're on when you're on Zoom calls for class or whatever you're doing, are you just like top half dressed slash dressed up, or are you usually still wearing a full outfit? Oh, I'm usually wearing a full outfit, but I honestly don't dress up for any of my Zoom calls. Like there. If I had a really important one, I would dress up, but I would still probably dress up completely. I mean, if I'm doing class stuff, there's no reason for me to dress up for that. Yeah. 90% of the time, like for work, anything, if I'm wearing the shirt that I need to, and I'm wearing shorts or sweatpants or something like that, like I'll wear the collar. I'll even wear a jacket sometimes. It's been a while, but early quarantine times, I would wear a jacket with my shorts. So, <laughs> <laughs> related, you can tell quarantine has gone. It, like the fashion rules that were already flexible have just have deteriorated even more. Do you think someone's created an extension or something for Zoom that, in addition to like a virtual background, you can wear a virtual outfit? <laughs> I th- I would think. I would think if so they too. haven't, they've got to get on that. I'm really reconsidering my choice. I think we should. I think we should move on before I, <laughs> I talk myself out of wearing clothes regularly, which is apparently something I'm considering now. <laughs> okay, with that, will you read our passage? This is the only way that we can. Yeah, it's got to be a It's got to be like a bandaid. We just got to rip it off and go. For yeah, it. exactly. This is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, from the New Living Translation. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. They will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Mm. The sheep and the goats. Mm. What an ending. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Seth, why did we go with the New Living Translation for our reading today? One thing that I like about the, the New Living Translation is it tries to get across the same impact that the reader's would have had when they read Matthew in the first century um, to the way that we read it now. Mm. So sometimes that that means like a more thought-for-thought thought translation rather than word-for-word. Word. But with this parable especially, I think what is important is that we get that, that same kind of shock, that same impact, that we get the meaning of the parable rather than we get the nuances of the words. This text for our listeners is the very last Sunday of the lectionary year A, which is focused primarily on the Gospel of Matthew. From here out, the Gospel readings from uh, the book of Mark, um, just to give everybody a heads up. If there's like a shift that happens in the passages that we seem to be reading, and we don't seem to be covering Matthew as often, that's why we've hit the end of this liturgical year for our podcast. That's right. The church year, the church new year starts with Advent. Yeah. So and so this this Sunday that we're recording for would be Christ the King Sunday, right, Seth? That's correct. It's very interesting that this is the passage that comes up on the day when we celebrate Christ being kind of lifted up in the highest, most yeah. possible ways. Yep. And it's both kind of surprising and also kind of fitting that this is the passage that we reflect on. A couple of things that stood out for me, I think, <laughs> this is just funny. Um, so it's designated to how, how the Son of Man separates these groups of people. And at first it says the king will say to those on his right. But then later it says, the king, for the more negative section, it will say, the king will turn to those on the left. <laughs> 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 and I'm just, I'm just laughing at, at the, the the phrasing there, and sad that I will be uh, cast into eternal punishment on the left my, <laughs> on, on, because I'm I'm found on the left. Um, yeah, I think I, I think that's just kind of a funny aside, but I'm just so struck. You know, sometimes the Bible 
just doesn't have a lot of nuance to it. And this is one mm-hmm. of those times. Agreed. And and I know that there's there's a lot behind this passage. There's a long history of interpreting this passage. This and this passage is one that it's still really powerful to me. It's it's one of the ones that's really foundational to my understanding of how we're supposed to live in the world. And yet it is also very, very convicting every time. I don't know. I think I'm just struggling again with the lack of nuance. It almost feels legalistic in that Mm -hmm. it's like, these are the rules and people may not have even known that they were the rules and this is the outcome (laughs) for them. Now, if there were things to be legalistic on, like these things helping the least who are hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison. I guess those are better things to be legalistic about than other things, but it still feels so cut and dry and not more complex and nuanced. Like I've generally experienced uh, God to be and a lot of other scripture too. Yeah, the line, the line seems really strict, right? The left and the right, and there's nobody in the middle. I've wondered, and I tried to research this, but I couldn't find anything. So we have the sheep and the goats. Is there another group of people that they're supposed to be helping? Is that like a third group? And I'm also thinking about how this stands in such stark contrast to passages that we often interpret uh, as like, we are saved by faith not by our works and not by our actions, that it is is exclusively the action of God that offers humanity salvation. Um, This passage provides a direct contradiction to that. It is truly the ways that that these people interact with and treat the most vulnerable among them that determines their eternal destiny and destination, so to speak. Yeah, that presents some problems for the the Lutherans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Did did, uh, did Luther make kind of a big deal about that one? <laughs> See, you would think, you would think he would he would treat this as like the same way he treats James. He calls James an epistle of straw and he just basically doesn't deal with it. You'd think that this would be the same the same yeah. hermeneutical approach. But yeah, those those are just some of the things that stood out to me was like how cut and dry this is. And how starkly it contrasts with other really major themes, not only in the Bible, but also ones that have become really significant for, I know, our expressions of Protestant Christianity. What always strikes me about this story, every time I hear it, is that neither of the groups, the sheep or the goat, know that this question is going to come at the end. Yeah. Like, both of them are surprised. They're like, when did we see you? And they're like, when did we not help you? Like... Mm. They have apparently not heard this parable before. Like this is this is new information to them. Yeah, and that's that's really challenging to me. Yeah, same, especially since it's a conversation about eternity and the concept that concept. It's like you're expected to win a game that you don't know the, don't rules, know the rules to. Yep, and that that's just that. feels a little maniacal. Honestly, that's the. I mean, that might be a bias of mind to view it that way, but that's just what it feels like that, you know, God has put a blindfold over our eyes and has some standard that we're supposed to, like, not understand. 
or that we're not expected to understand in any way and we're just supposed to guess the right way to figure things out now we're on the other side of this story so we might have this one but doesn't this also give us the example that the question could be a complete surprise to us at the end it's like you know for you saw that i spilled my legos on the ground and you didn't pick them up like what if what if it's all about the Legos, Seth? What if it's not about any of this stuff? But what if it's about something we haven't even considered yet? Yeah, that is certainly problematic, isn't it? To I get need there more answers, quiz. Seth. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the anxiety of like one last really stressful pop quiz. Pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's more like instead of like I've got a pop quiz in this class today, and we've studied these chapters. It's like. Any professor on our campus could give me a pop quiz on anything at yeah. any time. And if I fail it, I'm done. Like, I'm I'm done. Get kicked out. <laughs> this is certainly another tough text, which seems to be the case at the very end of the lectionary cycle. The way the, the lectionary cycle and church calendar work is because the date of Easter moves, the the time after Pentecost, like in the, what's in the summer and into uh, late November, has to switch, has to swing. Yeah, it's like got to be adjustable, basically, to yeah. fit the number of weeks that are left after Easter before Advent starts again. That's exactly it. Before the church moved to the Revised Common Lectionary, which we've been basing our readings off, the church used Pentecost as the fixed point. So these kind of apocalyptic texts at the very end were cut off if you had a late Easter. Hmm. But since the Revised Common Lectionary, they've done it the opposite way, where the fixed point is at, is the end of the lectionary cycle. So you always get these crazy apocalyptic texts at the very end and what you got cut out in uh, late summer is usually stories about Jesus' life and ministry. So, cool. At the, <laughs> so at the very end, you get all these like crazy stories about bridesmaids, right? And this. Yeah, we're just we're just going through a lot of the <laughs> weird stuff right now. Exactly. Yeah, just wrestling through the weird stuff. That's okay. What else? What else is do you think is important about this this story in particular? I love how disarmingly simple these actions are. Hmm. And maybe, like, that's what I've been thinking about kind of as we move into application. Like, for me, sometimes it's like I get too caught up in these big picture abstract ideas. And I think that those are certainly helpful and good but these are all like really simple actions. Hmm. Like for me, I'm like, okay, how can we, how can we create sustainable food systems that feed everyone on the globe and then distribute it appropriately <laughs> and make sure everyone's nutritional needs are met? Yeah. And this is just like, this is just like, if, if they're hungry, give them something to eat. This is yeah. like, <laughs> you know, Seth, I was thinking about this as we were reflecting on this passage, kind of negatively. And how our pattern has been when we encounter a text that is difficult for us, we criticize it. Yeah. And then at a certain point in the episode, we find ourselves making a turn to be more self-reflective. 
And I think that's because the passages that are most difficult for us in that sense are the ones that challenge us most directly, right? And so it's almost like a defense mechanism. We're like, <laughs> well, you're just words. I can make fun of you, words. And then, and, then, and then at a certain point, once we've gotten that out of our system, we kind of open ourselves up to it. But I, I, I think you're exactly right. Like, these actions are so simple, and yet we create the most convoluted excuses, either to <laughs> overcomplicate the thing or to get out of doing it altogether. Yeah. And if this is a situation that's as cut and dry and as it describes, that we we are in trouble if we do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and and beyond beyond the aspects of punishment, if we if we want to talk about that, I'm more so concerned about what to, like what refusing to participate in these acts and to do these acts what that means about our values compared to the values of god and the values of the reign and realm of god too in the world because we we cannot you and i cannot feed and you know visit every hungry person and every person in prison like we that is not a task that one person can feel like they can complete on their own Mm-hmm. But rather than, much like we talked about the Lord's Prayer a while ago, but, but rather than being the exhaustive list of things that we can do, these are providing a number of examples of how can we be present with and take care of those who don't have what they need. That's the standard for what it means to see and be and serve Jesus in the world. To see, be, and serve Jesus in the world. I'm struck by the way other people and Jesus become interchangeable in this story. And even the way I think you're using it, if I'm right. Yeah, like you absolutely. Could have said, you yeah, could have said to on. be and serve other people. But actually to be and serve other people is, is the same. I keep thinking if this is this story Jesus telling us where to find him. Like, here I am, like, reading books about, like, where to find Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is like, okay, you want to find me? Put the book down. Go to these people. Find me. That's me. Yeah, and I think for, for us to read these passages in our in our own social location, too, as someone who has not gone hungry or, yeah. like, gone thirsty in a dangerous way, at least, like, Sure, I'm thirsty for a drink of water after I'm talking on our podcast for a while. Not the same. (laughs) But someone who hasn't migrated or has struggled to keep myself clothed or get the care that I need when I'm unhealthy or been imprisoned. Like, I think these passages are especially challenging if, if they are a roadmap of sorts to find where Jesus is. Because those aren't the spaces where you and I are all the time. And often they are spaces where you and I might feel really uncomfortable because of how we've been, how I've been trained to view valuable, comfortable spaces in the world, but even as, as spaces where we can encounter, encounter God in places that Jesus might be pretty far away from. Do you remember when we were in college? And we read Graham Greene's The Power and the Glory. 
I loved that book. Same. I still have it, and I recommend it all the time. It's such a good book. See, I love this book, and I recommended it to my mom, and she told me it was the worst book she's ever read in her life. I had so a I... similar experience with someone I recommended it to. <laughs> but I, I think it's amazing. For our listeners who haven't heard of it, somebody please read it and tell us what you think. Be the tiebreaker here. Is it yeah. the best book in the world or the worst book that's ever been written i don't know that i'd go best book in the world okay, but that's i think true. it's an excellent book and it's it's one it's one of my favorite novels that i've ever read at least me too just a quick overview a very quick overview of the book there's an alcoholic priest in mexico where christianity has been outlawed and he like works undercover uh, to to do his job as a priest to baptize and give communion um, to bury people who have passed away and uh, even to marry people. Um, but in the story, he's like quite a complex figure. Like he has a drinking problem, and they they pay him money to do most of those services. But what strikes me about that book is I think he he finds himself in each of these situations. Like he's hungry yeah. and he's thirsty and he's naked. He's like hiding out. Like mm. he's a prisoner. And I think he also at some point in the book ministers to almost all, all the people in those situations. It's a scary thing to think about if our ability to do ministry in those spaces requires us to actually be in those spaces, right? Yeah. It's a lot easier to, to talk abstractly about them. Yeah. And, and I don't, I do not want to say that in a way that like glorifies suffering and glorifies a standard of living that is just not livable. Yeah. Um, Like that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. It goes back to kind of this question I think we've we've raised a few times of, like, what is it about our social location, about the comfort and the systems that we participate in and benefit from that prevent us from seeing Jesus in these spaces? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What are the like what are the barriers to our full experience of Christ as one of the vulnerable in our midst when we aren't willing to dignify and humanize? those who are hungry and thirsty and in prison. I don't know. That's just a, a question that's coming to mind is what's, if Jesus is telling us where to find him, what's preventing me from seeing him? You know, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about all the things preventing me from seeing him. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm overwhelmed by all of the things. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it takes, it takes the step of working, working through our comfort. And working past and honestly abandoning our ideas about what security means if they're getting in the way of us taking care of those who need when we've been given so much. Or especially if we are participating in systems that are holding people in spaces mm-hmm. where they're required to go hungry or thirsty or you know forced to migrate because of dangerous circumstances or whatever it may be. And I think knowingly or not, we participate in those systems and benefit from those mm-hmm. systems today with how interconnected our world is. And it's really rough to think about 
what it means and what our next steps would be. Yes, yeah, it's a challenge for me to think both systemically and individually. Like to think about to hold both of those and together. What do you think? What's a what's a space today where we can be with the vulnerable and not just see Jesus, but see see them. Hear and them. What is, and what does it look like? Especially during the coronavirus. Right? Yeah. When it's like you do you do you want to get close enough to someone to give them food? Do they want you close enough right. <laughs> for you to give them food, right? It's like Yeah. Well, I'm thinking for me, you know, one of the one of the experiences of the coronavirus for me is I'm actually completing a unit of uh, a hospital chaplaincy training uh, program called Clinical Pastoral Education, or CPE. And I don't know, that was, those were the situations that came to mind when hmm. I was doing this. I mean, being in a hospital gown and a hospital bed and a hospital room is a really vulnerable place to be. And our chaplain educator talks often about how whenever we enter a patient's room, we are entering with privilege. If only mm. because we have the freedom to walk out the door whenever we want. And so entering into that vulnerable of a space creates this kind of environment that can be really fruitful or it can maintain and reinforce that privilege and that hierarchy and that power dynamic too. Mm. And so I think about how we how we go about feeding the hungry. Like who's who's at the center of our efforts to feed the hungry? Is it so we can pat ourselves on our back for helping out those in need? Or is it so we can help meet this need so they can dream and actualize those dreams for real thriving in the world, you know? And I guess that, that becomes the question of there are ways to go about all of this. And I guess that's the thing I would highlight in this passage too you mentioned before is that even the folks here who didn't realize that they were doing all these things for Jesus, they weren't doing it for the attention for <laughs> getting the right answer on this pop quiz. They were doing it because they were in line with the values of the reign and realm of God in the world. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe the others, maybe the others did help do some of these things. Maybe they're, their attitude and their perception of the other perpetuated the privilege mm-hmm. and the power imbalances that allows them to have something that they needed to offer to those who were lacking it. I think that was a great note to end on the way you're, you're holding kind of those personal encounters together with, uh, the, the systems that perpetuate privilege and the lack thereof. That's how I've been thinking of, of the parable, at least. It's like, for, for me, it holds both of those together. Like, it's both systemic thinking and um, kind of these, these minute acts of mercy. 
it's it's the it's both which is what's challenging to me right now because i tend to live in the in the abstract so with that will you pray with me i'd love that lord you are hungry thirsty a stranger naked sick and in prison and we're too busy working in the abstract genetically modifying foods to increase yields, inventing water purification systems, selling high fashion items, creating cures for diseases, and studying recidivism rates, to do simple acts of mercy. Forgive us. Help us to see you and those in need, and to respond with vulnerable, self-giving love. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. What story are we telling next week, Jonathan? Next week, we are going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.